The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the science behind consumer behavior. Joining us is Nick Hobson, who is the chief scientist at Emotive Technologies, which is a data-driven technology company that measures engagement between consumers and brands. Backed by behavioral science, Emotive offers products including Apex, a brand management software that allows companies to understand what informs their consumers' behavior through tangible metrics as well as providing other actionable insights based on real information about their audience's desires. And today, Dr. Nick and I are going to talk about what attitudes drive consumer behavior. All right, here is the first part of my conversation with Dr. Nick Hobson, Chief Scientist at Emotive Technologies. Dr. Nick Hobson, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I love the Dr. Nick. I have to do it. I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of The Simpsons. Yeah. Hello, Dr. Nick. Hi, everybody. <laughs> that was good. For anybody who is, uh, I don't know, probably under the age of 30 listening to this podcast, which probably isn't a ton of people, Dr. Nick was the doctor from The Simpsons. This is a real doctor who practices behavioral scientists, not a quack doing open heart surgery, at least that we know of. Dr. Nick. Any open heart surgeries you want to tell us about? Oh, God, no, definitely no open heart surgeries. But it's funny, you referenced me as a real doctor in contrast to, as we all know, our least symptoms fans, Dr. Nick Riviera and his quackery. And I always get kind of gently insulted that I'm not a real doctor, of course, because it's a PhD. It's not an MD, not a medical doctor. I wanted to go to med school when I was a young lad in university. And I was geared up. I, had, I was in pre-med and taking all those courses. And then I was just in my training, had to take a prerequisite, like a pulsary intro psych course. And that was it. I was hooked. So I dropped the whole pre-med thing, decided I wanted to do psychology and become a fake doctor. And so like thing. For all intents and purposes, as it relates to the MarTech podcast, you're as real as doctors get here. Thank you. So you decided to study the brain instead of the body, or at least consumer behavior and how the brain functions, cognitive psychology. Let's talk a little bit about how that applies to marketing. We talk a little bit on this podcast about consumer behavior. Tell us, you know, what drives consumer behaviors from your understanding as a doctor of the brain? What I like to say is the mind, brain, and behavior, because it's one of those weird things where we behave, we engage in, in action, 
of some kind, usually a decision or a judgment. But of course, there are a whole set of things that precede that moment of action or that moment of behaving, whether it's purchasing or advocating for a certain brand or choosing this over that or getting up in the morning. I mean, you name it. There's just a whole set of psychological, mental and neurobiological processes that are happening all underneath the surface that are mostly invisible to the person who's just sort of, if you're observing another individual. And the science of psychology or behavioral science, which are basically the same thing, for about the first half of the 20th century, while this very new science took off, you had this tradition that was called behaviorism. So you have Skinner and Watson, and these guys made the strong claim that all we really cared about were the things that we could see, that we could empirically judge with our eyes, which are behaviors. And that all the other sort of mentalistic activity that's happening in the mind, or as they used to say, in the black box, is unimportant and not as relevant because it can't be tracked and it can't be measured. And so it's not conducive to scientific experimentation and examination. So leave it aside. Said like a true marketer. (laughs) Exactly. So they said, like, leave it aside. And we're only going to basically reduce humans to pigeons and rats. And we're going to run these experiments with our pigeons and rats. And any sort of conclusions we arrive at, we're going to generalize out to the human species. I mean, I'm being a little bit inflammatory. I'm being probably a little bit provocative, but I'd like to be. But they really didn't see a great importance in getting inside the mind, getting inside. Well, at the time, we didn't have neuroscience technology, of course. So they only cared about behavior. But that's only half the picture, really. There's so much that happens, as I said before, that once we escaped and came out of the behavioral tradition and into the cognitive revolution, that we began to see just how important it is to understand the internal states which drive those behaviors, drive those actions. So what do marketers need to know about the internal states of the mind? How should we think about what is happening inside someone's head that ends up leading to that outcome that we're trying to drive? So if you ignore the internal processes or those internal states, it's more or less becomes a guessing game. You can observe and see a behavior and then try and deduce why that behavior occurred and then sort of optimize and think about what you need to do to get to that ideal outcome or that ideal state. But if you don't know what actually drove it, what motivated the individual to that action, to that behavior, it's 50-50. It's a guessing game at that point. So you need to understand basically the attitudes, the feelings and the beliefs, the emotions or the hot part of our cognition, which is the automatic. And then the beliefs is the more rational or the cognitive elements of our psychology, how those two things work together to result in some sort of ideal outcome. And then once you know what those are, then you can intervene at the right points. Then you can dial one emotion up turn another emotion down so that it gets you where you want to be. And I mean, I'm speaking in such generic terms here because it really depends on what you're doing, who you're working with, who your end user is, et cetera. You know, they might feel generic to you, but from somebody that doesn't work in the field, it's interesting to me. And what I'm hearing is there's sort of this irrational portion of the brain that probably is doing a lot of the feeling and interpreting of signals. And then there is the rational part of the brain, which is taking all of the data and figuring out what it should be doing. I'm sure I'm not using the right psychological terms, but the lizard brain and the whatever the other non-lizard brain is. Psychological academic terms are jargony and a lot of them are full of shit anyway, so I like bringing it back down to real life. You're exactly right. It's sort of this rough distinction of system one, system two, for all the Danny Kahneman fans and Thinking Fast and Slow fans out there who are listening. And yeah, it's a very helpful heuristic of how we think about humans, human behavior, including in consumer behavior context. 
where we make a behavior or we engage in a behavior, I should say. And that's probably in most instances driven by this very quick automatic emotion sort of gut level feeling. Yeah, impulse. Impulse, instinct, unconscious, quick, reflexive. So most importantly, it's outside of conscious awareness. But we actually don't think that's the case. We think that we are these beautiful, rational creatures and we're so different from all the other species out there and all their impulses and instincts, and that we arrive at a decision point because we sat there and we did all the cognitive weighing of options and the calculated reasoning. That's not what happens. What happens is we have an emotion on a very rapid level, we act, and then the behavior happens. Then we kind of go back in time and what's called post hoc rationalize why we arrived at that decision. And it's basically us convincing ourselves or deluding ourselves that we arrived there because of cold cognitive calculation, when in fact we didn't. It was all just emotions all along. So it's sort of this trickery of the brain to convince ourselves that we're smarter than we actually are. I think that we like to think of ourselves as the scene from The Beautiful Mind where all the math and calculus is dripping from <laughs> top to bottom and our brains are doing all these calculations. And in reality, it's like, ooh, sugar, go get it. It's more instinctual than anything else. And it's funny you say Beautiful Mind because that was wonderfully played by Russell Crowe. He was John Nash. And John Nash, which some people might have heard of Nash Equilibrium, he was the guy who basically created the field of modern economics. And modern economics at that time was making the argument that we are rational agents. And when we're presented with a decision or we're presented with some sort of situation or scenario, we're going to weigh all of the variables and factors and we're going to assign them their relative scoring and weighting. And then we're going to make this very calculated decision. And that's what actually drove the field of economics and financial decision-making for decades. And then it wasn't until some psychologists in the 80s, 90s, and then finally people started to hear them in the 2000s that were saying, we're not rational agents. It's the complete opposite. We're quite irrational in terms of how we make those decisions. And they're driven by things like impulses and emotion. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. 
you would think it would be a little bit of a blend where the rational portion of your brain can act as a filter in some scenarios, but what's driving the underlying behavior is instinct and impulse. Let's bring that a little closer to what's happening in marketing. As marketers, how do we think about whether it's the impulsive side of the brain or the rational side of the brain, you know, what actually are the ways that we can tap into the consumer's decision-making process and help influence what some of their behaviors are? So, yeah, you're right. The way I was sort of painting that picture was that it's all emotions and nothing to do with these rational or cognitive factors, when in fact, that's not entirely true. It just helped me in making my point. There's always these two sides of human psychology, There is the rational and the emotional, and there's this important interplay between those two, which will drive the individual. So as marketers, we have to first know that and then build accordingly from there. And you have to understand, so two things. One, there is a great deal of individual differences. So there are some people who are just because of their temperament, because of their character, their disposition, their DNA they tend to engage in what's called intuitive style thinking. They're relying more on that quick, impulsive, emotional reflexes compared to their more analytic, what's called analytic thinking, their analytic counterparts who engage in the more rational. So first, in terms of any sort of segmentations you're doing with your end user, you have to understand that there's always going to be those two types of people generally. And then you can further segment once you go into them. But on a starting point, you have to understand that those are the two sort of audiences that you're working with. It actually raises a really interesting marketing question of as we're thinking about segmentation and carving out who our customer audience is and learning some of their traits and behaviors, you know, I don't think very many marketers, let's say that it's a scale or some sort of a spectrum. I don't think that we're saying, well, I want people that are 90% emotional and 10% rational, as opposed to an an even 50-50 split. I don't think that we think of, well, I want to get impulsive buyers. But on the flip side, there are some purchases that are inherently targeting people that are impulsive and even marketing channels. I first think of buying, God, what was the last impulsive purchase I made? I bought these plastic bags because I saw a Facebook or an Instagram ad that are like circular at the bottom, but they're silicone and you can close them at the top. And basically it is- I know what you're talking about, yeah. Right? It's Tupperware that doesn't need a top. And I saw it and I was like, oh, need organization. Bye, 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 bye. And like $89 and 30 seconds later, they'll be delivered in two days. Actually, the rational part of me kicked in and said, I'm going to go look on these on Amazon and I'm going to go buy them on Amazon. So if they stink, I can return them and it's, you know, simplify the process. So maybe I'm a 90, 10 emotional and then 10% rational because of where I made the purchase. But, you know, there are ways to target rational versus let's call it irrational or emotional decision-making. I don't think we think about that in our segmentation. Exactly. And the fact that like what you said, maybe it's 90, 10, It's not a guessing game. You can actually quantify and track the extent to which an individual or a group of individuals or a cohort of individuals are making those decisions. And once you're armed with that information of how we act based on these two sort of categorizations of the emotional versus the irrational or cognitive, then you can just make such better business decisions and you can be a lot smarter about how you're going about and collecting data and analyzing those data and then applying those insights for future strategic business decisions. So I want to put a pin in that because I think that's a deeper conversation talking about how to evaluate 
what's happening in the consumer's mind and understanding the segmentation. Before we dig into that a little deeper, are there any other aspects of human psychology that you think about when you're trying to figure out what drives consumer behavior other than, well, there's this spectrum of rational versus irrational? I mean, there's a lot, but if I were to name one, I would say one thing that we often don't think about or, or we can at least think of more about in a consumer behavior or marketing context is identity and in particular, social identity. So we as human beings care a great deal about who we are. And either on a conscious or an unconscious level, we ask that about ourselves every single day. So we can have our own personal identity. And, you know, I am Nick, I am male, etc. But what's more interesting is we also exist what's called in, within various social identities. So I am a friend, I am a father, I am a brother, I am if I belong to a particular religion or if I belong to a particular organization. If you take that and you can apply it to a consumer context where I'm an avid fan of Nike or Adidas, it's one or the other. And so consumer identity is a big deal and it drives a lot of our decisions often outside of our conscious awareness. But we love the idea of becoming fans and loyal to a particular brand or business or product or service. So if you know that, then you can optimize the process. You can include different psychological experiences in the customer journey to bring out that social identity of the individual in terms of how they engage with your brand. And if you can do that successfully, then it's really difficult to break the ties of a social identity because it's so baked within our psychology. Last question I have for you today, you know, when you think about that concept of being part of groups or assigning some sort of identity to self, it seems like that's risky because I can sit here and say, okay, I am a white male, 40 years old father from the San Francisco Bay Area that works in technology. And that summarizes me relatively well in terms of how I think about myself and my identity. Now, there's also the concept of the evil tech bro, right? Or like the venture capitalist that everybody thinks about, you know, the gray Patagonia with their VC logo. And that is one group as opposed to the guys that are trying to like disrupt and democratize the entire world. And those two groups have different behaviors. There's also the independent marketer slash podcast hosts who think about life very differently as well. I just think of the stereotype of the San Francisco tech bro. Let's go out and drink some Jaeger bombs and code <laughs> some shit and make millions of dollars and stay up all night. And in the meantime, I'm like the opposite of that, where I just want to spend my time with my wife and kids and make enough money to be happy. Those are two different mindsets. How do you figure out what groups to pay attention to? And what groups don't define where a person, like how do you figure out how deep to go in your segmentation or when you need to keep digging? That's a question that applies to any context where you're trying to understand the individual versus the group. So in its most extreme, we would want to understand and analyze and segment to the individual, right? Because every individual can be quantified based off of a set of like, this is their values, this is their personality. That's not feasible. It's impossible to scale or automate. So we have to sort of draw the line and say, okay, this is where we stop. This is the level down where we stop at that segmentation. So now the question is, okay, what is that level? How many buckets? How many categories? How many groups? It has to be a sort of a manageable, feasible number that is easily communicable with yourself and to your colleagues and to your clients. 
it has to be amenable to collecting data on those different groups. So what that means then is we have to stereotype. And stereotyping is usually used in a more nefarious context where it's like it's prejudice or it's discrimination. But taking that away, stepping away from that for a second, stereotyping is actually just a very sort of social cognitive heuristic quick rule of thumb that we have to look at a person and say, okay, I'm going to make sort of a quick judgment and say, you look like you belong to this group. And then you do that for every individual. And actually, a lot of the times our stereotypes are pretty accurate. Now, when they're not accurate is when we get into trouble with things like prejudice and discrimination. So I'm not saying we should stereotype all the time, but it is a very natural built-in function. And so when we're doing segmentations, ultimately, it's an exercise in stereotyping that is as close and as accurate to the truth of those groups as much as possible, recognizing that there's always going to be error variance. There's always going to be a lot of noise in the patterns and in the signal there. At the end of the day, you mentioned stereotyping is something that's kind of a natural behavior. And I think it's really up to the marketer's judgment to try to figure out where to draw the line in their segmentation. It is not just about understanding which groups, but what the level of depth is. I think of targeting for the MarTech podcast sponsorship outreach. We reach out to all the executives at MarTech companies, right? And we feel like that we can treat them relatively the same if they're in this industry. Now, maybe there's another level of sophistication that we should be getting down to and breaking those companies down by size or breaking the contact that we're reaching out to based on job experience. But it's up to our discretion to figure out that depth. And a lot of it has to do with what we feel like the consumer behavior is, what the mindset is of those groups. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Dr. Nick Hobson, the chief scientist at Emotive Technologies. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Nick and I are going to discuss the science of measuring audience engagement. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Dr. Nick, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Nick M. Hobson, N-I-C-K-M-H-O-B-S-O-N. Or you could visit his company's website, apexscore.ai, A-P-E-X-S-C-O-R-E.ai. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.